I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Happy New Year, Nashville and Middle Tennessee. It's good to be back with you. You know, 2024 is primed to be a big year for all of us. And we here at This Is Nashville are excited to talk with you about what will transpire over the next 12 months. Now, in order to do that, we want to and have to hear from you. So if you have a comment, question, or topic you think would be perfect for the show, reach out. You can tweet us at This Is Nashville or email us at thisisnashville at wpln.org. All right, now we have a very special conversation for you today. Singer and songwriter Chris Matthews is quickly ascending to high levels in the Americana and country music scenes. She's a multiple award winner and emerging voice of social justice. This is exhibited in her song, Cancel Culture, which we are honored to have her play for us now live. So without further ado, here's Chris Matthews and her song, Cancel Culture. There's a whole lot in our culture I'd cancel if I could instead of Banning books, I'd ban gerrymandering for good The rich would feed the poor like the good Lord said they should And every child without exception would feel loved and understood No more whitewashing our history when the truth will set us free No more watching corporate profits or while people sink into poverty No more telling kids they're flawed because you think that your God would there's a whole lot in our culture I'd cancel if I could There's a whole lot in our culture We should cancel right away Instead of banning, saying gay We should ban racist holidays Teachers should get to teach without worrying about their pay Or if they'll have an active shooter that they'll have to keep at bay No more kids in bulletproof backpacks, it's a school, not a war No more pretending that machine guns are what the Second Amendment was for No more doing nothing because it's easier most days If there's a whole lot in our culture We should cancel right away There's a whole lot in our culture We could cancel if we tried Instead of banning abortions We could trust women to decide Every size and shape of body could be normalized and every type of mental illness could finally be destigmatized no more squeezing and contorting into boxes we don't fit no more saying that we're fine when we're not but scared to admit it no more telling little boys it's better not to cry if there's a whole lot in our culture we could cancel if we try We've been marching in these streets, singing we shall overcome Praying all the world would give up all their bombs and all their guns I just want peace of every kind, but the whole world tonight And to believe that Martin was right We can drive out the darkness with the light Drive out the darkness Drive out the darkness We can drive out the darkness with the light Drive out the darkness Drive out the darkness We can drive out the darkness with the light Wow, wow, wow Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Matthews. Chris, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks so much for having me, Khalil. So nice to be here. Really great to have you. I feel like we can end the show. You just solved all of our problems. <laughs> Let's go home. Chris Matthews for President 2024. Wow. Thank you. That's something that's really, really powerful. Um, so. Talk to me a little bit about that song. Where were you when you know you got hit with the inspiration to write that song? Gosh, so Changemakers, I had already finished everything um, with Changemakers, um, which came out in 2021, and it's a front-to-back social justice album. And so I would kind of felt like I said everything then with that album. But at that time, I was living in D.C. still, and, you know, between the insurrection and everything that happened kind of in 2021 and, and just it was 
maddening. There was still so much that needed to be done and there was still so much that felt like needed to be said. And as I was kind of going around touring um, the album, like, you know, promoting Changemakers, so many people would be coming up to me at the end of the show and be like, you know, you're just so brave talking about all the stuff that you're talking about. You know, I check so many boxes and they're just like, they look at this black butch lesbian woman talking Mm. about all of the social justice stuff in these predominantly white spaces. And they're just like, oh, you're so brave talking about this. And I'm like, it isn't really brave. It's kind of what is required. Mm -hmm. And there is so much in this world of ours that we could and should be canceling and they would always be like you know i think i would just would be so afraid i would just stay quiet Mm -hmm. and the idea of that the silence is the thing that keeps them complicit and so the idea of them staying quiet and silent uh for fear of being canceled when there is so much in this culture of ours that we shouldn't could be canceling that's kind of how the song came about um and so that's kind of why it's like a laundry list of of ills of american ills yeah, long um, sorted yeah <laughs> sordid we got maybe. a lot of work laundry to do list. yes <laughs> you, okay so i want to learn more about your path to how you you came up and you came to write these songs of social justice which makes audience members question their own bravery and really look at their fears yeah how did you first find music so music has been in my life for a very, very long time. I am a, a preacher's kid from southeastern North Carolina, so I grew up in the AME church uh, down in Richlands, North Carolina. And so I think I was listening to gospel music before I could even even speak. I think mom was singing to me when I was still in the womb. And mm-hmm. so, you know, gospel music was my first love, and it was just always around me. Um, and then as I got older and, and was in, I think, sixth grade, I found my way to band and I am a very proud band nerd. Okay. Um, <laughs> so What'd you play? Clarinet. All right. Classically trained clarinet. Nice. So I went to school for music education. I was pretty sure that that was what was meant for me, that I was going to be a high school band director. And then once I got to college, the universe did what she always does and was like, nope, we're going to take a hard left. And this is how music is meant to be in your life. It was like the most serendipitous thing. Um, I ended up playing um, keys, being a fill-in keyboard player for my college roommate this one night Hmm. and just had the absolute best time at that gig and went home and wrote my first song and entered that first song into the Campus Talent Show at Appalachian State University and won first place with it. At at first place at App State? first song, and that's like 500 bucks, which, you know, the conversion rate is like a million dollars in college currency. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was feeling real good. I was like, oh, my gosh, am I a songwriter? Is this what I can do with music? And uh, the rest is history. You said something very interesting. You had this experience filling in for your college roommate's band playing keyboards. Yeah. And after the show, you went home to write your first song. Yeah. There's something about that energy after you get done. Sometimes people think when you perform, you give it everything you have to the crowd, to the performance. Yeah. But that, instead of draining you, kind of invigorates you. Absolutely. It really does. It's the it's the post-show high, we call it. Mm. And uh, it is. It's really hard to kind of settle down after a show. It's like even though you're exhausted, you know, you've been there way earlier than the people have been there because you had to load in, you had to do sound check, you had to do all of this stuff sitting in the green room. But after the show, like just that energy exchange between the audience and you, it is. It is absolutely invigorating. So everybody in the band wanted to hang out. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm out. You're I'm welcome out. for filling in. I'm out. I'm writing a song. <laughs> exactly. So what was that first song about? So as as is so often the case in college, you know, the depth of material really was just limited to breaking up with girls and going out with girls. So my okay. very first song was kind of like therapeutic post-breakup song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And you performed it at the talent show. I sure did. Was the subject of the song there? She sure was. And I was just like, you know, thanks for being being amused. Best best of luck to you down the road. All right. <laughs> well done. All right. So you've recorded nine albums. Yep. You're about to start your tenth. Yeah. And you tour and record music full time. How did you make that jump from the first show to making a living for your life? Yeah. With your music. Oh, my gosh. It's such a journey. Um, it, it is difficult, especially in this climate, when there are so many uh, amazingly talented people to be able to just kind of sustain yourself full time just with your art. Um, for me, I got very, very lucky. Again, it was just this really serendipitous sequence of events. So in 2017, um, I entered this random contest like didn't even really think about it. And when I got a notification saying I was in the top 10, I was so shocked because I didn't even remember applying for it because mm. it was just on a whim. And when I won that particular contest, 
uh, it kind of opened a huge door for me um, that basically led to me being able to have a booking agent. And for an independent artist, being able to have a booking agent is kind of life or death, being Mm -hmm. able to just have your bills paid knowing you're going to be working and be able to get work. And so once that happened, it just kind of snowballed. I was able to play in so many places I'd never played before um, and just just keep working um, and have been able to do music exclusively since then. Now, I understand your booking agent is not just any ordinary booking agent, kind of a legendary booking yeah. agent, right? <laughs> yeah. So my very first booking agent was Jim Fleming um, from Fleming Artists. And Jim is just a titan of a human. Um, he, for, for folks who know Ani DeFranco, Jim basically discovered Ani um, and was her agent for about 25 years. And he is uh, the agent for Holly Near, who is just such a luminary, um, Jeff Daniels, so many other amazing artists. And one of his friends, one of Jim's dearest friends, um, saw me performing and did something that he never does, which is to reach out to his friend and say, hey, there's this girl I just saw. I really think you should listen to her. I think you guys should work together. Mm-hmm. And because this person, Michael, because he had never done that, Jim really took that to heart and took a chance and listened to my music and said, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should be working together. And he Man. has been just so instrumental in in being able to help me make this a life. Got you out in the road touring. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say a lot of time, I really mean that. I've heard that you are on the road for almost 50 weeks out of the year. They're about. <laughs> I mean, how, one, how do you do that? And what is it like? How do you keep going? Oh, man. I mean, I think because so much of the work that I do is so centered in justice, it's a lot of love and hope woven into that. And because of that, when I'm playing these shows and seeing people and feeling that energy from them, the hope that they are feeling, it it is like, it's almost impossible to not, we used to joke that we're gonna have to start selling Kleenex at the merch table because so many Mm. people end up crying at a show just because they're kind of tapped into this hope well um, in the midst of, of so much struggle. But I think it's because of that, because of that exchange of hope uh, my well stays pretty full, even mm. though I am working hard out there. Talk to me. You're you're, you're an artist. You you're you're sharing. You're writing these songs. You're sharing them with people. These crowds across the country and internationally. They come to you because they are dipping dipping their cups into your well of hope. Yeah. Talk to me about the alchemy of turning that hope into social justice action. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the beautiful exchange. You know, uh, Harry Belafonte has that quote where he says, when the movement is strong, the music is strong. And it's kind of that same thing. So I think when people come to a show where they know there's going to be social justice music there, um, there's something about being in a space with so many people who are hearing a song like Cancel Culture and in the middle of a song just being like, woo, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's so, it's so inspiring because it makes these people feel like they're not alone in the midst of their outrage, their very appropriate outrage at so much of what's happening in this world. Um, and so it's very inspiring to kind of see that magic happen and just be sitting in the space kind of feeling that magic happen, literally watching somebody be moved to tears, not because they're sad, but because they are remembering to be hopeful that hope is its own form of resistance. It is such a powerful thing to experience night after night. It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of that, the the quote from the late Harry Belafonte saying that when the movement is strong, the music is strong, it's got me really worried about hip hop. But that's for another discussion. <laughs> okay, so you're on the road. I want to definitely come back to yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on the road, you know. It, it, is there a moment that kind of either took you by surprise or was a confirmation that the universe has you right where you're supposed to be. Oh gosh, it really feel I, I am I am because I think because I am a preacher's kid, I am a very firm believer in all things work together for good. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing to kind of see that show up in my life every day in big and small ways. And so I think I very much am where I'm supposed to be doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing, um, kind of moving from D.C. to Tennessee or from that in a kind of unique way, really. Um, my partner and I, who, who's also a social justice songwriter, we moved down here and kind of shortly after we did, our very lovely, very gay interracial couple, you know, living in Nashville, Tennessee, 
and Tennessee in just the time we have been here mm. uh, has introduced so many anti-LGBTQ bills and legislation. Mm -hmm. And so because of the work that we do, we've kind of been able to be in a lot of these spaces here in town and help artists figure out like how to use their platform to say the things that they want to say but have not felt safe to say. Uh, so many people worry about, well, if I make somebody mad, are they going to come to my show anymore? And it's just like, I mean, but if they're hateful, do you want them there? <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of been amazing to kind of be able to facilitate some of these conversations in these spaces where artists are figuring out how to use their platform to be part of that change, especially in a place like Tennessee. Talk to me about when you are talking about challenging topics like race, like um, how people look at sexual orientation and, mm -hmm. and people on the LGBT, LGBT, who are LGBTQ representatives. You know, you said artists are scared that people are going to not come to their shows or not support them. I am of, of the philosophy. There's a whole bunch of people you can listen to music from, mm -hmm. you know, for people who don't like this show. There's many other shows on Absolutely. right now that you can turn to. When you were really coming into your own form as a musician, mm -hmm. as an artist, as a performer and a human being who has this message that you want to share with people what was what was the key to help you break through or battle or confront any nervousness you may have felt about what you were embarking on? I think back to the the song that was probably the first what would be considered social justice song that I wrote. And it was after Trayvon Martin was killed. And the song was called Don't Forget My Name. And looking at his sweet, sweet face, you know, I have two cousins who are like kid brothers to me and they're close to Trayvon's age. And so seeing what happened to him, it was like I had no choice but to say something. I had to write that song. And when I did and actually sang it, the response that so many people had was really affirming because it was almost like they needed help figuring out the words to say something similar but didn't really know how. Mm -hmm. And music so often is that for a lot of people. We we know that when it comes to love songs. You know, how many guys are so clumsy with their affection but they find that one song and send it to their lady and are yeah. just like, baby, this is how I feel about you. Mm -hmm. You know, music has always done that. It has always helped give people language when they don't always have it. And so even with social justice music, I find that that is also the true part about music. And that is a very affirming thing to have people literally say, you know, I didn't know how to talk to my in-law about the fact that I am LGBTQ, but I'm sending this song and hope that they get it. Or I didn't know how to have this conversation about the Confederate flag. And so I'm sending this song so that I can figure out how to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. It's gotta be powerful. And you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're meeting people all over the country. Yeah. In different parts of the world. Yeah. And you're singing these songs that are going to challenge and or surprise these folks yeah. and inspire them to do what you just said and send that send that message out to others. Talk to me about something. I'm curious. What's the difference yeah. between performing in the UK versus someplace like Florida? Oh my goodness. Well, I'll tell you, it is a very different energy. Uh, the UK is a little bit more, our cousins over there are a little more buttoned up mm -hmm. than we are. They have very, very strong feelings, but they express them in a very, very reserved and restrained way. And so it's interesting being in a place like the UK because as a songwriter, you know, so much of well, did I, did I land it right? Did I sing the song well? Do they understand what I'm trying to say? you feel that at the end of the song when the applause comes or what have you or when it doesn't come. And so it's an interesting thing to kind of recalibrate based on where you are. It's a similar experience I find also being in part of New England. <laughs> New England is uh, very comparable to uh, the UK in uh, a lot of ways. It's okay. a very funny thing. You know, down south, we're very loose. You know, we're pretty we're pretty loud with our affections one way or the other. Um, but some of the other parts of the country and, and the world are a little bit more conservative with it. So it's not until they come up at the merch table later and are just like, that song was absolutely lovely. And that you really, really know. And it's like until that moment, you're like, am I going to get to come back or no? And in Florida, they're like, girl, you rocked it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, real quick. I have just about a minute left for this part of the show. Where, where are some of your favorite places in the United States to perform? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have to say uh, one of my favorite places I played in 2023 was the Sisters Folk Festival uh, out in Oregon. That was incredible. Um my goodness, the Shalin Lu Art Center up in Rockport, Massachusetts is absolutely lovely. 
And of course, anytime I get to play back home, North Carolina is my home state, born and raised. So anytime I'm back home, it's always it's always a blast. Have you hit the Ryman yet? Not yet. It's on my bucket list. All right. That is like my white whale. It's like Newport Folk Festival and the Ryman. Those are my white whales. All right. We'll see. <laughs> Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with Chris about growing up in a small southern town and how she found her way to writing and performing songs about social justice issues. This is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. My guest today is Chris Matthews, a singer-songwriter who won the 2022 International Folk Music Awards Song of the Year for her song, Changemakers. We're delighted that she has come to the studio with her guitar. Now let's listen to one of her newer songs, Like Jesus Would. Chris, take it away. In my hometown is a church on every block Sanctified folks who'd much rather pray for you than talk They cherry pick the gun word and hold on to the bad parts So they can willfully ignore every lesson Jesus taught But in a town I've never been to before I saw a church that made me want to run right through his doors I could tell just by the outside I'd be met with open arms Folks spreading the good news with open minds and open hearts Pride flags flying for all to see Black lives matter on the church marquee Bet they don't just pray when the sick take ill Or just send thoughts when another gun kills I bet they vote like Jesus would, like the choice they make might do some good for somebody. That's my kind, my kind of Christianity. Somebody said if Jesus came back now, Half the Christians in this country would try to crucify him somehow They call him a liberal and hurl woke like a slur They take one look at his brown skin and then probably call him worse So this one's for those fishers of men Not the people putting evil in evangelical again Love one another, his commandment from the start So keep spreading the good news with open minds and open hearts Pride flags flying for all to see Black lives matter on the church marquee Bet they don't just pray when the sick take ill Or just send thoughts when another gun kills I bet they vote like Jesus would Like the choice they make might do some good for somebody that's my kind, my kind of Christianity. Pride flags flying for all to see. Black lives matter on the church marquee. Bet they don't just pray when the sick take ill. Or just send thoughts when another gun kills. I bet they vote like Jesus would. Like the choice they make might do some good for somebody. That's my kind, my kind of Christianity. That's my kind, my kind of Christianity. That is Like Jesus Would by Chris Matthews. Chris, thank you again for being with us, and thank you for that beautiful song. Thanks so much, Camille. <laughs> okay, so you know, you grew up in a small southern town in oh, North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, Your mom yeah. was a pastor. Mm -hmm. I heard you used to call her Rev. Oh, I still call her that. Rev. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. At the AME African, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Yep. That your grandfather built. Oh yeah, I mean that church has been in our family for so long. It's it's interesting. I keep hoping that um, 
Lewis Henry Gates will come down there and do a documentary on our family. We have been in that part of North Carolina for as long as there are records. And in that one neighborhood, in that one small, very small town, um, our family lineage, we know it so well. It's a mm. huge thing. We have a family reunion every year. It's like three to 500 people. It's huge. <laughs> so, so what was it being like being raised in this, say, foundational ancestral home? Yeah. Your mother's a pastor at the church your grandfather built. What what did growing up in that community, in such a strong faith community, what did that instill in you? Interestingly enough, I find that the connection I have to social justice uh, is really just kind of an extension of how I grew up in the AME church. In the South, especially, most folks know, uh, the AME church was really kind of a pivotal component to the civil rights movement, um, almost throughout history, the black church in general, really. And so that that ideal of justice and faith kind of always walking hand in hand, kind of always existing hand in hand. Um, that was my foundation. That was kind of how I was raised. That was uh, what I was taught. You know, we we get taught our history very, very well, not just during Black History Month. And so being so keenly aware of that, of how essential, if you are a person of faith, if you consider yourself to be a person of faith, well, for me and how I was raised, that goes hand in hand with being somebody who is deeply concerned about justice and the well-being of your fellow man. And so I think because of the way I grew up, it really wasn't too much of a surprise when I did end up kind of being in justice in some way. I think everybody's still shocked that I'm a, a folk and Americana singer, but the justice part of it is not too much of a surprise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Following the family footsteps. That's pretty much it. Different kind of pulpit. Yes, that's right. Now, you, you, you shared that you're openly butch, mm -hmm. black lesbian. Yep. What was your experience coming out to your family and church? Because you have, I mean, look, we have to understand Absolutely. the history of the South alone, the Absolutely. history of the religious movement, the faith-based movement, and the history of African-Americans who have historically been kind of, um, let's just say it, homophobic. Very much so. You Very know, much so. You're coming out during yeah. this time. What was that like for you? You know, it will be its own TED Talk one day. It was really something. Um, okay. <laughs> I think a lot of us who are uh, LGBTQ uh, in some way, shape, or form as adults are kind of uh, finding ourselves having more and more conversations about kind of healing that religious trauma that so many of us uh, have endured and are still enduring. Um, it was not easy coming out um, in general just because my town was so very small and then especially coming out being a, P a PK, a preacher's kid, um, in a town that was so small and in a church that was such a foundational part of my family. Um, you know, our family is very, very close. And so being alienated from them in any way, uh, especially in a place like the church where that's kind of where we were always together. You know, my whole life, that was what I looked forward to every week was getting to go to church, sing songs in the choir, go hang out at grandma's house afterwards. You know, that's mm -hmm. like the only life I knew. And so when I came out, I came out when I was 18 or rather was outed um, when I was 18. And hold so, on, hold on. You were outed. Oh, my gosh. It's such a crazy story. I don't know if we have time, but I'll try to give the quick version. Yeah, please. Okay, so this was this was obviously like pre-Tinder, pre-all of that stuff, like mm -hmm. nothing cool, no apps to swipe. So I had uh, a girl that I met in a chat room that we were seeing each other. She lived in Pennsylvania. We were, we were seeing each other. You know, she had a similar situation, like very religious family, very, very not okay for her to be gay. And so we kind of found each other, similar stories. We had been writing each other all the time. We would be talking on the telephone all the time. She lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in North Carolina. This was not during the time of Verizon Unlimited. So like that uh, phone bill was crazy town. Yes. I don't know what I was thinking. You Obviously didn't call nothing. After nine. You know, I didn't know, man. I didn't mm -hmm. know. And so the Rev got that phone bill and she had questions, but what her questions got answered by was this other girl's mother also getting her phone bill and calling that number. And my mom was home and got that phone call. So I got home from school that day to an absolutely irate rev mm. who was so full of questions for which I had very little answers because I was just in absolute shock by what was happening right in front of me. Um, and it was such a complicated thing because, you know, this was back in the 90s. And so for her... So much of her response, which we have healed a lot of our relationship, a, a lot of it. We have an absolutely amazing relationship, and I would not change the ugliness of the past for the beauty that she and I have now. Mm -hmm. um, but at 
as we are aging together, she is more at ease kind of talking to me about what was going through her mind during that time. And I'm getting as an adult to kind of have a better understanding of just how fearful she was. And we know what fear does to people. You know, it's it's kind of what is at the root of so much homophobia in so many contexts. It is just that fear and that lack of understanding. And so for her, the only thing that she is seeing in the world around her is Matthew Shepard being murdered brutally, horrifically. And I am her only child. And I am her only child who is coming out and is gay in the South and is also black and in the South. And so for her, so much of it was her own fear at what could happen to me. And then the rest of it was shame, which is always a perfect storm for disaster in any situation. And for her, the shame of having so many of her colleagues ostracize her, uh, berate her, how could you have a gay daughter? And if you do have one, how could you still love her? How could you still be good to her? And for her, it was her own journey kind of reconciling what it is she has only ever known in her faith, which is love. She always says children don't ask to be here. They don't ask to be here. And so if you have allowed this child to come into the world, your only job as a parent is simply to love them. That is the charge you are given. And that is what you are supposed to do. And so for her, it has kind of been a journey of distilling that fear and that shame down to the nugget of what is her truest truth as a mother. And it is just that she should love her child. Mm -hmm. And finding her way in that truth has kind of made our journey what it is now, which is a very loving relationship. So over the years, I can imagine the time from the phone bill. Oh, yeah. The phone bill uh, yeah. through college. I'm yeah. sure it wasn't much communication. No, I was hardly ever, ever home. Mm. I mean, I think, yeah, the majority of my college time, I, I hardly ever went home just because it was nothing good ever came of it. When was the first breakthrough for you and your mother? I think the first real breakthrough was when I brought my girlfriend of three years home uh, to the big family reunion. You know, it was like, that's such a huge deal. If you come in a family reunion, like there's no skirting around it. Mm -mm. That's me being like, listen, whatever goes down, it's on you. I'm not going to be your dark little secret in a corner somewhere anymore. I'm not hiding away from the rest of the family for fear of y'all having tough conversations for yourselves. That's it. I am me. This is who I am. This is who I have always been. I kissed my first girl when I was four years old. I've been out. I've been gay pretty much my whole life. Okay. <laughs> so it's okay. like, it's not like I just woke up one morning, you know? And so, and she knows that. And so it's just like, I'm not hiding anymore. This is it. And the way that she kind of reacted and the way the rest of my family kind of interacted, everything was with a lot of intention in their way, in their very sweet, very subdued way to kind of say, okay, it's been enough time. We can see it's not a phase. This is what's happening. All right. We'll make sure that y'all get matching t-shirts for the family reunion parade. It's fine. Okay. The family was like, you can come back to the family reunion. You didn't bring potato salad with raisins. No. Oh my gosh. The yeah. horror, the horror. Okay. Now you, you talked about how, you know, some of your songs have come out of difficult yeah. conversations. What is your hope, you know, for songs about challenging issues? Do you think that you're singing to the choir when you're playing an important role of recording and affirming perspective? Or, you know, do you hope your songs will reach people with these different views? Let's think about cancel culture. Will your song reach to somebody who is all about banning books and limiting, you know, the, the depth and the perspective of African-American history and others? Yeah, I hope it does both of those things. I hope it will both reach people who have not yet had the opportunity to meet people like me uh, and have conversations like the ones that I'm trying to have with so many of these songs. I hope it will give them an opportunity to kind of hear a perspective that they have not already heard and think about something that maybe they haven't already thought about. And then I also hope that it will keep that choir inspired and hopeful. My friend uh, Dave has this beautiful song that says, um, I'm preaching to the choir to sing it louder. And that's what I hope a lot of these songs do for folks in those spaces where, you know, I play a lot of Unitarian churches, you know, they're they're already out there doing the work. But there's something to in this time where it is so easy to get outrage fatigue because there is so much to be outraged about and by to be able to keep people hopeful enough to keep trying, because when they keep hoping for better, they keep fighting for better. And that matters a lot. So I hope it does both. Let's talk about social justice. A lot of people define it differently. Yeah. How do you define social justice? To me, I think of social justice as anything that is working towards equity. 
Um, if it is LGBTQ people being seen uh, just as equally, having just as many rights as people who are not LGBTQ, if it is criminal justice reform for black and brown people, if it is women's equality in the workplace, anything, anything that is striving towards equity, um, I think that is social justice. Criminal justice form for black and brown people. When I think about justice and, and DEI, I'm like, I got to put poor white folks in there, too. Absolutely. I mean, poverty is at the pop, heart of so much of it. You so know? much of the problems yeah. that we're all facing. Do you do you write songs about poverty? poverty? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. not a lot I don't write about. <laughs> so you cover it all. <laughs> I try to. You know, you, you know I, I'm thinking this is really wonderful. Um, this is really, really, truly wonderful because you're, you're taking on these, these, these causes, these things that are so important to yeah. yourself and other people you're out here in the world it was 2023 now we're in 2024 last year you were at the capitol yeah. during the protests after the covenant shooting yeah why was it important to you to go down there and to participate to bring your guitar and to go down there and to share your voice yeah so gun reform is a huge deeply deeply personal issue for me um in 2020, when so many folks were reconciling what was happening uh, because of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, and the pandemic, you know, my family was figuring out how to live without my cousin, Sharice, who uh, was murdered by a former partner, mm. um, somebody that none of us knew was back in her life and that none of us knew had a propensity for that level of violence. None of us knew. We were completely blindsided by that. And he was a former soldier with PTSD somebody who with the right laws in place would have never had access to a gun and who would have never been able to drive all those miles and murder that sweet, beautiful girl. And so that is an issue that is deeply personal to me uh, always. And so to be home in Tennessee, home in Nashville now, and see this shooting take place of these babies and you know these six lives um three children and three adults be killed uh senselessly it was deeply personal to be there and because of the work that i do because social justice because of gun reform um being such a huge part of what i do with my music what i hope to do with my art um, it mattered very much to be able to stand in solidarity with so many of the artists and so many of the activists and especially the kids who were out there lifting their voices to say we do not have to live like this and we don't want to live like this anymore i think back to how i grew up i'm, I'm a gen xer uh, which most folks forget because of these little baby cheeks but mm -hmm. when i grew up we didn't have active shooter drills like if you had tried yeah. to explain to my parents generation that their children were about to have active shooter drills they would have been horrified they would have been storming some capital mm -hmm. because kids should not have to live that way we should not have it be acceptable that children have to go to school with a, a legitimate concern that they would be murdered in school like what kind of reality is that and so because the kids here were being so proactive and so passionate about their rights to be able to just live and go to school freely. It mattered to be able to support them, to be able to stand in solidarity with them. And it was such a beautiful thing to be able to see so many other artists out there doing that work as well. Yeah. Um, music is just such a unifying force. And so when something like this happens, it's, it's always important to have music there. I'm a Gen Xer as well. And I do not remember at all ever Never. having to do active shooter drills. I do no. remember having to do nuclear. We had nuclear bombing drills up in, about the time until I was in the third grade. But, mm. you know, we had for we did quite a few episodes with students and young people in Nashville yeah. and their reaction to the tragic Covenant school shooting. And yeah. after that episode, I'm sitting in this studio and I'm looking at six. I think it was eight teenagers and seeing how brave they were and exactly. talking to them and something snapped in my head. Mm -hmm. And I realized since you all were in preschool, you've been doing active shooter drills yep. all the time, twice a year, three times a year, you're doing these drills as your brains are developing, as you're going through life. This is a reality yeah. that you really shouldn't have to think of. And I gave him excuses for kind of some of the dumb social media challenges they get into. I understand why they do Tide Pod challenges now mm -hmm. because of the stresses and you have to let loose. We as Gen Xers had many different ways to let loose and didn't have to go through that. Exactly. And, um, you know, I appreciate everything that you're doing to support them. And let's take a will one more short break. 
When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Chris Matthews and talk about the folk, Americana, and country music scene right here in Nashville and how anyone can find new or new-to-them voices to listen to and enjoy. This is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking with folk Americana and country music singer-songwriter Chris Matthews about her life, her music, and what drives her. Chris, thank you again for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so after college, you lived in D.C. area for many years. Yeah. It's where you kind of really established your career. Yeah. But then in 2022, you moved here to Nashville. I sure did. How did you decide to move here? So again, serendipity. It's like if I was going to get a tattoo on my forearm, that would be it. It was, mm. we had come down, my partner and I, uh, we had come to Nashville for Americana Fest in 2021. And a lot of our friends are also artists. And so when you guys see each other on the road, like you're not really thinking like, hey, where do you call home? You're just ships in the night all the time. So we come for Americana Fest and we're at this party and we're just looking around and it's like, oh my gosh, so mm. many of our friends live down here. It was crazy. And so we're seeing all of these friends, seeing all these friends, just having this amazing time at Americana Fest, just living the dream. And the people whose house we were at, some friends of ours were saying, hey, we just bought our dream house, which means that this house is getting ready to be available for rent. If you know anybody looking to move to Nashville. Is that and a little wink and it was, nod? Oh, totally. And we were just like, <laughs> I mean, y'all don't mean us. We're like, we're not moving to Nashville, are we? And then we're looking at each other. We're just like, but are we though? Like, are we moving down here? And so it just was like one thing after another, after another. And it was just perfect timing. You know, we, because we are both artists, we can do this job based anywhere. Mm -hmm. And just the feeling of having so much community around us, we're definitely not moving to Texas. So let's go to Tennessee. And we did, we just jumped and the community here has been so beautiful and loving and amazing. It has been a wonderful place to call home. What's it been like living here for you personally yeah. and professionally as a musician? Beautiful in both realms. So professionally, uh, being here has been amazing just because of the time in which we're here. Uh, there's this huge push in country and Americana right now uh, towards equity and inclusion. And so for me as an artist who checks a lot of boxes to be in Nashville when so many conversations are being had about, you know, the reclamation of this space because, you know, so much of country music was literally built by black people uh, and on black music. And so to be able to be here in the midst of that conversation, intensifying and deepening, um, and same thing with LGBTQ inclusion, uh, it's just amazing being here, having those conversations and, and witnessing so many people try to do that work of making this space uh, what it should be. Um, so professionally, it's a very exciting time for me to be in Nashville. And then personally, it is both beautiful and gut-wrenching at the same time. Um, again, you know, Tennessee is definitely doing its level best to make sure LGBTQ people feel like they are not welcome here. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'm a headstrong Aries. All that does is just make me dig my heels in a little bit deeper. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear that. Okay, so coming here, it, as a while the conversations in Americana and country music are happening, like, hey, let's be more inclusive. Let's bring out, have more equity. Where Where would you suggest people go to see a different lens of Americana performers, of oh, yeah. country music performers. Yeah, so I would say Nashville is such a wonderful place because there is an entity like the Black Opry, which is here uh, in town. And so if you are a fan of Americana, if you are a fan of country music, uh, and want to experience artists of color in that genre. Uh, the Black Opry is an amazing place to start. If you are a person who wants to support and encourage and listen to LGBTQ artists, uh, the Rainbow Collective is doing amazing work kind of holding space and carving out space for LGBTQ creatives here in town. Um, it's amazing. There, there are so many resources um, here in town for artists who are members of marginalized communities. And so if you are a music lover, if you are a music appreciator, and you want to see this genre look like what it says it should look like, especially Americana, you know, you slap that as the name of your genre, it's supposed to look like a pretty broad thing. America looks like a pretty broad thing. And mm -hmm. so if you call yourself Americana, you in turn should kind of reflect that. It shouldn't just look like the same 
very white, very straight, very slender, very male thing. It should look like a lot of things. And so if you are someone who believes Americana should be that, um, there are a lot of amazing collectives in this town specifically doing the work of making sure that Americana looks like what it should look like. All right, final question for you. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, all the experience of life, what advice or wisdom mm -hmm. would you give, not just to your younger self, because that's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to any person listening today, younger or older? Mm. I, I would say if you feel like you have something to say, the best advice I can give to you is to simply say it. It can be so easy in a town like this where there is so much amazing talent, where there is just an endless well of creativity to feel like, do I even have anything to offer? And the thing is, you absolutely do. You know, you think about how many different love songs exist in the world and how many of those love songs get just as much play as the next because something has been said in just a slightly different enough way that it has resonated in a different way with somebody else. If you are somebody who feels like you have something to say, just say it. Don't be deterred because you are somebody who is black or brown. Don't be deterred because you are LGBTQ. Don't be deterred because you are someone living with a disability. If you have something to say, you have absolutely got to say it. The great Phil Oaks, uh, an absolute luminary in the folk community, said, when I've got something to say, I'm going to say it now. And that's the best advice I think I could give to anybody who feels like they're being called into this profession. Mm -hmm. Chris, you're going to take us out with one more song, right? Yeah, we'll sing a little love song. All right. This is called Oklahoma Sunset. Chris Matthews, take it away. Mid-July, Friday night. Side by side, your hand in mine Just carrying on like we do But I couldn't take my eyes off of you She's beautiful, always If I'm watching or not, if I do or don't say Even when the storm is rolling in it doesn't stop her light from shining She's in Oklahoma sunset on a summer night Stop dead in my tracks just to bask in her light Oh, she keeps me breathless Her glory is endless I hope her light never fades She's how I want to end every day I come home from a long day The sight of her takes it all away Just sitting on the back porch Taking her in Is enough to ease all my worry And she's got a warmth about her That soothes me A glow all around her that moves me Even when the storm He's rolling in It doesn't stop her light from shining oh, She's in Oklahoma sunset on a summer night Stop dead in my tracks just to bask in her light Oh, she keeps me breathless Her glory is endless I hope her light never fades oh, She's how I want to end every day Like the twilight, blue in the sky Until the pink hits her cheeks on those red hot nights But my favorite part Is her golden heart Oh, she's in Oklahoma sunset on a summer night Stop dead in my tracks just to bask in her light Oh, she keeps me breathless, her glory is endless I hope her light never fades But she's how I want to end every day
want to end every day this way I want to end every show this way. That's fantastic. <laughs> Our guest today was Chris Matthews. You can find her online. That is C-R-Y-S Matthews. And support the Kickstarter for her new album. With these Kickstarters open until when? Uh, it's open until the 12th, the 12th of January at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. All right. You want more social justice music, everyone. Music about love. You know what to do. And don't forget, tune in to our podcast for a bonus live song from Chris. Chris Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks this so has much. been a pleasure. Oh, it's been an absolute honor. All right. And thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Catherine Cece's and Liv Lombardi. It was directed by a senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator and technical director is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville in Kaliole, Colombia. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Not much in the trees in Tennessee, that's where you are. It feels so far. I've been resting my head on a hundred different pillows. This old road is finally taking its toll on me. I don't mean to be taking a toll on you. So cold in Massachusetts where I am I just want to be holding your hand and in your arms They seem so far I've been counting the miles and the hours like the sheep The last time I saw you is the last time I had real sleep I don't mean to be taking it out on you And southbound, now you heading west. Can't wrap my mind round this hole in my chest. It's so hard. You're still so far. I wish that I knew how to do this much better, but broken hearts just don't mix with cold weather, baby. I don't mean to be taking mine out on you. I'm having a hard time lately It feels like I'm going crazy From missing your touch I miss you so much There's more red in the trees than there was last week But still not much in the trees in Tennessee That's where you are It feels so far